All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel, and we have a special guest this evening. Uh, we are here with Lindsay Catrola, who is a hunter out of Texas, somebody I've followed on Instagram for quite a while. Um, and I think there's a few things that I want to talk to her most, most importantly, just kind of like background, and I'm in, just interested in her story just from following her social media. She kind of has an interesting life down in Texas, Texas kind of half farming, half hunting, half doing other stuff. And so, yeah, we're just going to dig in and have a bit of a conversation and see where it leads. So thank you very much for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm wondering, can I start with my, with my one Texas story? Yeah. Okay. I love Texas, by the way. I've only been there once. It was Oh, oh dear. Week. We got to have that disclaimer first? Yeah. No. <laughs> I do. It was unlike any other place. So I went down for an Audad hunt. Oh, cool. uh, In West Texas near Terlingua. Do you know where that is? Mm-hmm. So flew in and then I think I had to transfer in Dallas, Fort Worth and ended up in Midland and then drove from there. And I was driving myself the whole way, staying in Airbnb. And then the outfitter was basically had a ton of little properties and I was mm-hmm. mostly DIY and he was just kind of bouncing me around. But in the very first night, got, got there about 10 o'clock at night and I'm just supposed to meet him at the corner of like a dirt road and a highway. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there in the pitch black in Texas, no idea where he am. Finally, he rolls up, him and this guy, clearly into the drinks, right? That's fine. They're in like a weird white quasi pedo van. So I was like, this is already kind of yeah like it was anybody who drives just a van is kind of interesting to begin with and so and so we're driving down the road and all of a sudden he just swerves to the side and there is a giant snake in the middle of the road and i'm like so i swerve to the side he gets out he walks past my window and he's like i'll be back in one second i'm like all right so I, as I'm leaning over in the passenger seat, just to figure out what's going on, I just hear gunshots <laughs> and then this like scuffling noise. And then he walks past and he's like, we should probably just get going now. And I'm like, where, what, what, have, what is happening? Like where <laughs> am I? people are just pulling off to the side of the road at 10 o'clock at night and, and shooting things. And then the next morning he goes to drop me off and he says, do you have a sidearm? And I'm, I'm like, you understand I'm from Canada. Like, we can't even legally walk around with a gun, let alone bring a gun to a fort, like a, like a sidearm. I can bring a rifle. Uh-huh. I'm like, no, I don't. So he just pulls one out and hands it to me. And he goes, well, just use this for the week. And I was like, okay. Uh, had an amazing time. Ended up shooting an odd dad. I was like, it was so weird to like go into 7-Eleven and like people are packing. Like guns are just so normal in texas and And they're even more normal now because uh the governor just passed open carry so it's like even more of a norm now it's so weird and it wasn't nothing bad ever happened it was just such a culture shock like we're pretty good for hunting firearms in canada Mm -hmm. but like if you own a pistol in canada you are only legally allowed to carry it from your house to the range and you have to have a membership at a range or you can't legally own a sidearm. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it has to stay in a locked box. It's so like sidearms are very, you just don't see them around anywhere. 
But anyways, I had a great hunt. I ended up getting an Audad. He kind of screwed me on my Euro, which was like a really weird thing to, it's been like two years and I can't get a hold of him and he never shipped my Euro to Canada. That's my only, and that's an individual thing, not a, not a state, mm-hmm. but I could live in Texas in a heartbeat. I loved it. I just thought it was so, plus I was kind of in a weird backwater corner and I, it's probably not a good idea to like generalize you know the, it, it is the, it is it is deep south or i mean even though it's like west texas right like that whole like sonora area right a lot of people call it south texas but i mean technically okay. it's west texas but um it, it it gets very very rural down there right yeah. um i'm i'm like 50 miles northeast of boston so growing up i've always kind of got like you know going into town was, or the big city wasn't that far away um but at the same time like we also lived out in the country on a farm so it it was like the the best of both worlds you know right. so uh but they don't you know they don't have necessarily big cities to frequent you know down yeah. there and so they are very uh very rural put it that way yeah Lots I mean, of guys living in trailers with generators and yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's also very it's technically like a dang war zone right now down there. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. Like even several hundred miles in from the border, you know, just with uh, the cartel and right. Um, you know, with uh, you know, immigrants coming in, like it, it's crazy. Like there's a lot of people that are ranchers that are just abandoning their ranches because that's crazy their, their families aren't safe anymore and like this has been in their family for generations and they can't even raise cattle because the fences are getting cut you know you have game ranches that you know deer are getting killed you know 365 days a year because people are just killing animals because i mean it's not like they're gonna follow our our game laws right they're not right. even following the laws to get into the country so 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 this Four is a games. good, this is a good segue. So let's get into kind of like, so you're born and bred Texas, like, mm-hmm. but obviously you, you have kind I don't want to, we're an ethnic, but you clearly have a cultural background. When did your family come to, to, to Texas? Um, so my, um, uh, my mom is a Yankee, um, not by her choosing. She, and the reason I say that is because, um, she was the only one in her family that wasn't born in Texas. Uh, she was the Navy okay. brat. And so she was actually born in, um, Philly. And so my dad, on the other hand, um, his family has been here. Um, they came from Czechoslovakia and they've been here, um, for over a hundred years. Okay. So they, um, you know, like my, my mom's dad and all them, they, um, they, they lived here, but then because he was in the Navy, like she was born out of state. Um, but they've all been here for, you know, over a hundred years. So. And has farming, cause that's what your family does now. Mm-hmm. And I realize you kind of have a separate gig as well, but historically your family is, so is that what they've been doing the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yep. They have been farming, um, for, you know, like, like I said, like ever since they came over from, from Czechoslovakia. So I guess like my hard work and my grit comes from that. Um, and then also, I guess a lot of the ways that I perceive like women doing task comes from, and and I'll explain further, but like, it comes from the farming side of things. Um, I'm an only child. And, you know, 
my, my dad, I'm the son my dad never had. Right. Um, you know, just because we live on a farm and he wasn't, um, blessed with a son doesn't mean that the farm's going to go under, right? right? Work still needs to get done. And it, so I think it's kind of like, you don't look at things as like, oh, that's a man's job. That's a woman's job. No, that's a job that needs to get done. And your ass needs to get out there and do it regardless of, of if you're male or female. Right. right. Um, and one of his uncles had three daughters. And again, I mean, what's, is the farm just going to go under because he had three daughters instead of three sons? No, like they're going to get out there and they're going to work. And, you know, and it's not like, you know, my dad was some kind of slave driver. He had me pegged at a very, very early age. It was more so like, Hey, can you try to do that? He's like, no, nah, never mind. You probably can't do that. You're not strong enough. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Don't tell me that I can't do something. And so it was like, you know, I, I liked it. Like there's something up. You guys kind of talked about it in uh, your, your podcast with, um, Oh my God, I'm going brain dead. But uh, the, the, like the outdoor supplement brand, uh, wilderness. Oh, the, yep. Yeah. Kevin okay. Willen. So, you know, the, the, he was talking about, you know, making that transition into like the, uh, essential workers, the manual laborers and stuff like that. And like, when you get to think about it, like that in itself is a sport, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, I know so many guys that like bodybuild in college and stuff. And then, um, they, graduate from college and they'd have this, uh, this summer or this period of time where they were trying to get a job. And so it was like, Hey, I'm going to work construction. Um, and they're like, man, dude, I thought I was in shape, but this shit whooped my ass, you know? And it's not saying like, Oh, some farmer can outwork some athlete. No, but it, it's a different type of conditioning, right? 100%. Like, and, and, and it's just kind of like a lot of people don't think of it like, Oh, this all, you know, this old redneck or this old blue collar worker over here is, is a form of athlete, but in itself, it is like, you know what I mean? Um, Even some of those days are like a marathon. Like when you think, and I know it's only certain times of the year that they're yeah. incredibly long, but even just knowing the people in the industry that I do like during harvest season and other seasons, like 16 and 18 hour days are not uncommon. And even having the endurance, even if it is just like, driving vehicles or doing other things like that alone um, is extremely physically demanding. I mean, just think about it. Like think about changing a tire on a tractor. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you're at CrossFit flipping tires. Okay. Well um, I'm in the middle of trying to get my job done and this tire just blew out. So now I got to change it. And it literally is going to take everything in my willpower to change this tire. Like, and, uh, and then get back to doing the job that I was originally doing in the first place. Right. right. Like, and, and it's not to be like, Oh, one is superior over the other, but it, again, it, it's just like, it takes a lot. And it also takes a, a different type of mindset, right? Like I had a, um, I had a period of time in between, you know, one of my corporate sales jobs to where, um, I, I had like three months before I could start my next job. And in, I overheard my uncles talking about like they were looking to hire some kid or something to clean out the silos at our granary. Okay. And I, I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And they were like, well, this isn't a, and I was like, don't you finish that sentence. And I knew what they were going to say. This isn't really a job for a lady. And I was like, does it pay? 
okay, I don't care if I'm shoveling shit for 10 hours a day. I was like, I'm not too fine to, to work hard and to get paid. And so literally we were cleaning out and shoveling corn in, I mean, it was rough. It was rough because there's no ventilation in there. So just imagine being in a giant tin can in 110 degree weather and you're cooking in there and there's no ventilation. So it was, uh, it, it was challenging, but I mean, it was just one of those things that like, you just keep pushing, 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 and you just keep going until like you get it done, you know? And, um, there were some, some other kids that like, just, you know, uh, graduated high school and they were going to play uh, football for AM and they were dying, you know, and they're athletes they're, and they're young athletes at that, you know, I was like, here I am some old lady in there. And, um, but it's just like, you know, it was just kind of like, I mean, it's a hell of a thing to, to be bred, I guess, to do manual labor like that. But at the same time, like it, it is a workout in itself. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's interesting that you bring up the grit. Cause that's always something I'm very curious about. Um, like how people come by what, what they have and how they perceive things and where their discipline and drive and, and seeing your progression with, and this we're skipping ahead. So we'll, 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 we'll get to a proper order in a moment, but seeing your progression with archery, I think that makes a lot of sense to me now. Like it, that is a very difficult, and I think people underestimate that like, and I'm not going to downplay rifle hunting. I, I, I just came from a great rifle bear hunt. Mm-hmm. I love it. Guns for me have their place, but like nothing will ever take the place of the bow for me. And I don't think unless you get into like super long range stuff, you have a hard time convincing me that the technical skill required to shoot an animal at 250 yards with a rifle is more difficult or as difficult as the technical skill required to an arrow an animal at 40 yards. Like I think that yeah. the bow is just harder. Like there's just, it's closer to a pistol. I've always, even though I don't have a lot of sidearm experience, the fact that you can't lock yourself into it the same way you can lock yourself into a rifle and all your anchor points are floating, but seeing mm-hmm. your progression at, at archery, which was, which was quick. I mean, compared to like how, you know, when an average person would have started putting shit on the ground, um, that makes sense because that, that mm-hmm. same kind of grit and determination kind of plays out. So if we go, when did hunting is obviously a family thing. I've seen some mm-hmm. really old pictures of your old man, um, and some of the, some of the bucks he took down. So that was clearly like a family thing mm-hmm. that goes back quite a ways. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing, what, what's unique though, is so like my grandpa, uh, was a, was a, my dad's dad was a, a big fisherman. I mean, okay. very skilled, like this old man can pull a 50 pound flathead out of a mud puddle. And it's like with no effort, you know, but he wasn't a hunter. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, back then they didn't really have time to do any kind of recreation. I think that fishing right. was probably about the only thing. And they really liked it because I think that they also got to get in the water and kind of cool off and relax. Um, but also they, you know, they had to, to butcher their own animals. So okay. it, it was... Um, you know, they had, you know, they had everything. The only thing that they ever had to buy from town was salt huh. because they couldn't make it themselves. Everything sure. else like sugar and stuff like that, they, they made from sugar cane and, and everything. So like my dad actually started hunting, um, with his best friend, uh, growing up his dad okay. and 
check this out. His last name was Griswold, you know, like the Griswolds on Christmas vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so you were going out with Clark Griswold. Okay, great. Um, but that's where he started hunting. And I mean, he just absolutely loved it. So naturally, like I'm grown up, I was my dad's shadow. Right. So it didn't matter where he was going, what he was doing. I wanted to go with it. But like, that's how I started. That obviously like, wasn't how I, I necessarily like fell in love with it. Like, I mean, I love it. Right. And I love spending time with him, but it was like, that's something we did together. It really kind of developed into this. It's not just a love, but it's something that like, I have to do. And I've thought about this question, like so much. And I think that when it's kind of like, when you truly love someone like can you actually put that into words right? right like can you verbalize that or is it just this feeling that you get right and so I think it's kind of like a three-prong approach in terms of like how I, I started hunting and why I continue to hunt and why I, I love it so much is that you know obviously I started because of my dad yep the, the the second prong is um out of fear of complacency and this really didn't resonate with me until uh, COVID, until quarantine and everything was shut down. It, and it kind of like, I already knew this in the back of my head, but then it wasn't like until it was like ding dong, you know, like light bulb went on when all of these shelves didn't have any meat on them and you couldn't find meat anywhere. And it was kind of like, like, why do what, cause you know, you'd always hear people be like, well, that is just barbaric. Why do you need to go out and kill animals when you can buy it from the store? And then all of a sudden you couldn't buy this shit from the store, yeah. you know? And it's not a matter of like, it, it's just, I changed my oil on my truck, right? Um, you know, maybe it's because I'm frugal, but it's also because if, if I don't know how to do that, like what happens when I get into the the scenario where, you know, I need to know that, right? Rather than, being complacent and always relying on everyone else to provide for you, to be able to harness the ability and the knowledge to do those things for yourself and to be able to provide for others, right? Like, I think that that is so important. But as you know, with hunting, this isn't just something you do once and then you've got this down, right? Like yeah. you're good. You just put it in your pocket and you just pull it out whenever you need it. No, like, especially whether it's rifle or if it, especially with bow hunting, it's something that constantly needs to be refined. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that the third prong of it, and this is so odd, but I was talking to this and I'm going to sound like such a raving hippie by saying this, but I have no shame. I was talking to my hairdresser yesterday and he's into like, um, you know, like, um, you know, like signs and you know, he's like, well, you know, you're a Capricorn and he also hunts, you know? Okay. Um, and I was like, there's just something about being out in nature. Right. And I was like, you know, of course, growing up, I'd hunt and I'd hunt out of, with a rifle out of a, a blind. And I'll be honest, like it drove me nuts because like I have zero patience and I can't sit right. still. And it's just, I felt like I was in prison. I'm supposed to be out here engulfed in mother nature and i'm literally in a prison cell like this isn't this isn't recharging my battery you know 
And so I, I was telling him, I was like, you know, being that I, um, my, my day job, I, I work in it and in, in a corporate sales environment, it's very draining all the technology, all the, just, you know, just, it, it, it is so draining to my like energy and my spirit. And it's like, I just have to be outside feet in the grass or like ass on the ground or something. And I was like, it's something magnetic that it literally like recharges me. And he was like, well, it makes total sense. He was like, you're a Capricorn, you're an earth sign. And he was like, you know, it absolutely makes sense how you, you literally are like reignited based on that. And you said something in that last podcast about like, you were talking about solo hunting and it was like, you know, anybody that has ever t- uh, stepped foot out in nature, you know, it, by themselves knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And it's just like, it's very humbling, right? Like as soon as, as soon, if you ever think that you're badass at something, you step out into mother nature and you go and try to hunt. It's very, very humbling because it reminds you that you ain't shit real quick. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think the best way, especially when it comes to being in the mountains that I've been able to describe it is that I feel more myself when I'm out there and normally when I'm by myself, but I can, I can get there with other people as well. Yeah, I, for sure. I feel more myself in those surroundings than I do anywhere else in my life. And I like to think I'm, I'm pretty comfortably me. Like I'm in my mid forties. I'm as, I know myself as well as I'm, as yeah. well as I'm going to, but it's still, I feel in the rest of my life, like I do have to like put on a particular hat depending on what room I'm in and like what needs to be done. But when I'm out there, there is no facade at all. Like it's just right, right. way and it's just you and, and nature. And that's very interesting that you bring up the difference between being exposed to it and falling in love with it. Because my first couple hunting experiences were in my early teens, moose hunting in Northern Ontario. And I liked it. Like it was, I went away with my dad. It was like a week, you got a week off school, mm-hmm. a tent, big wall tent, but like, it didn't grab my soul. Like I can, like, it wasn't like I found my calling or anything like mm-hmm. that. And it wasn't until later on when I discovered it was more when I got into mountain hunting that it really kind of grabbed me. So I would, I think I would have been, I would have experienced similar frustration Although now the limited kind of tree stand hunting I've done, I kind of fell in love with that too. But I think it's, I can only appreciate that now because I've had the other. Yeah. Like the idea of like waiting and hoping something's going to walk by. I, but if I'd have done that first, I think it would have drove me crazy. Yeah, for sure. Like I finally, um, I think that that's kind of like what, what drove me into archery is I was already spot and stalking, um, with, with a rifle. And the thing was, is I just got so fed up of sitting and waiting for life to come to me as opposed to, I'm going to go and I'm going to go where, you know, where the game is. Right. And again, it was just something like, you know, you absolutely have to love something. If your ass is, is crawling, getting covered. I mean, this is Texas. It doesn't matter if it is like one of the coldest days ever, you're still going to get bit by fire ants. You're getting eaten alive by fire ants. You're like crawling over every possible thing that can stick and poke you. And you might come face to face with a rattlesnake. Like if it doesn't say that, like, I absolutely love something when you're doing that, like, 
You know what I mean? Like it's just something magnetic about being out there. And like, I I think one of my most memorable whitetail hunts from last uh, season was, uh, I mean, I was like sitting in a briar bush, like the deer had literally like made this like little like walkway through like, here's a briar bush and then there's the briar bush. And they just kind of like, I don't know if they like ate their way through it. I literally just nestled myself in between it. And it was like the greatest thing ever, but it, it, it's just awesome. Like I, I almost like say that like 90% of my time out there is I'm more of like a nature watcher. Right. You know, cause I'm not just out there bloodthirsty, just ready to kill anything and everything. Like, no, like I love it. Like I, I, I'm not going to tag out on the first day of the season because then that would mean that I, I I'm missing out on an opportunity to spend that much time. That's that much more time out in nature. And again, I know I sound like such a huge hippie by saying that, but like, it's like, I need it. Like I absolutely need it to get out there and to shut everything off. And after my battery has completely been drained from all the technology and all the riffraff of my go, go, go corporate life and, and the farm, right? Like, you know, things are never done here, but that is, my one thing that I'm able to get out and just shut off and recharge. So what's a typical year look like for you? So you've got whitetail hunting that you can do on your property. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what does, and obviously every year is a little bit different, but what, what are your normal goals as far as like a hunting year? What, or, or maybe what have some of the past years looked like and some things that were particularly notable? Like, are you talking about like hunts in general? Like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to try to go do elk this year or this, or, or totally. are you talking about, ju- okay. So I, I think, and this happens, I, I hear this a lot, uh, with, with people that, um, that, ha- that, are, that farm, right. Is there like, Hey, um, you know, I, I didn't hunt a lot of different game growing up because, you know, we farm. So we basically only grew up hunting whitetail and that was me. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I'll be honest. Like my dad started just doing <laughs> corn because he was like, you know what? We plant it, we fertilize it, we harvest it. And then we go hunt deer for the rest of the year. <laughs> that, was <laughs> that was his like mindset, you know? And he was like all this other stuff because He's like, you know, if I have to be harvesting wheat during the winter, he's like, it doesn't really work out. Like kind of messes up my deer hunting plans. And, you know, like I get that. Right. So I haven't hunted, you know, every species out there and I'm not even going to pretend like, like I have. Right. Um, I will say that COVID kind of threw a a wrench in, in a lot of things because I I was planning a trip to go to Africa. Um, I did want to go to Canada to, to hunt bears. Um, but then all the borders got shut down. And, and so now, um, right now I know that this year, I I haven't done any, like put in for any like draws or anything. I'm going to try to hit up some, some OTC hunts. Um, I know that I'm going to do pronghorn again, uh, try to hit up elk. Um, and then depending on like what's going on with COVID and all the borders and stuff, like I have a lot of hunts that are pending that I'm ready to book. But it's like, okay, I don't know. I, I know I don't want to get vaccinated in order to go into another country and stuff like that. Like, yep. I, I just want all that pandemonium to um, 
to, to calm down before I, I commit to some of these other hunts. Right. Um, so basically it's kind of like, I, I just look for every opportunity to every hunt that I can go on that gets me to whitetail season, you know, <laughs> what's, what is, what season is that by the, like, what are the actual dates for whitetail in Texas? So, um, I, I, th- I looked the other day, it's at the beginning of October. Um, it's usually, I think like the first weekend in October is okay. the beginning of bow season. Um, even though like I'll be out there, I'll be out there every day. I, I found like, and that was another reason why I started uh, bow hunting was because I was like, I get to hunt whitetail for another month. Like, oh, yeah. this is so great. So, I, and I hunted every single day and it's just like, there's, it's so hot still that they are like, they're still nocturnal. And so you're yeah. out there for an entire month and you may not see a single deer because they are just sticking to their hiding areas until the sun comes down. So then, uh, starting in November is a uh, rifle season. Okay. And, um, then the, it, it ends typically in some counties at the beginning of, it's usually like the first weekend in January, okay. but then you also have, um, MLD, which is like managed land permits, um, to where the, uh, Texas parks and wildlife, like it is a program that they give you a certain number of tags in order for you to manage a herd. So like we could do MLD on my property, but they may only give us, um, a biologist comes out, they review the number of deer on a property and based on the acreage and um the population and then they're going to say like okay so you're able to take three bucks out um eight doe and you know maybe like two spikes or something right um and those will go until like february gotcha so um it's a long one yeah yeah when i when did i go i was in texas in june yeah. Poor thing. Not a, not a wise. <laughs> poor, poor thing. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which I'm going on a javelina hunt this weekend and I'm like, we're go on crack when you uh, like set up this hunt. It's in Laredo okay. in Texas in June. And I was like, I'm just as guilty. Cause I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. And then yeah. I checked the weather and I'm like, Oh, wow. I thought my skin was going to melt off my face. Like it was over a hundred degrees every day and you're like out glassing for odd dad or whatever. And it was, yeah, it is a, it was brutal. Like I probably lost two to three pounds a day. It's the humidity too, that people don't understand that is like, you know, yeah, it gets to be a hundred degrees other places, but when you throw that humidity in Texas on top of it, it's just like, it, it, it's rough. It's rough. But so, it, build, it builds character. Yes, this is true. Well, and <laughs> I can't decide what I'd prefer, super hot or super cold. I, I, I think they both kind of suck in their, in their own way. For sure. Um, but I love, like, my favorite hunting in the world is kind of that southwest, like, Arizona, across to New Mexico, into, like, southwest Texas. Like, if I... If somebody said you can only hunt like one region on earth for the rest of your life, that's the little circle. There's just something about it. Like, uh, 
Yeah, and, and I think it's because it's so different from where I grew up. Like we mm-hmm. have nothing. We have crazy mountains and gigantic trees and lots of other crazy shit, but there's nothing here that's that's like that. And I and again, I don't want to be the like the weird hippy dippy guy, but there's weird energy. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> okay, because I was the one that was being a hippie earlier. Yeah. Please take the reins. But it does, there is a different vibe down there, that whole southwest region. Okay, so talk to me about the Hawaii hunt because I've gone down there as well. Were you on Molokai? Am I remembering I that was. correctly? Okay. Yes, I, I was on Molokai. Um, so we went, uh, my buddy, and so what it was is my hunt, uh, Africa hunt got canceled. And so, okay. I mean, it, I was just like, ugh. So my buddy Angelo, um, he's an international PH. He's actually from Peru and all of his hunts got canceled. So he was like, basically looking for a loophole, right? Like this is right at the very beginning of COVID. And we're both like just chomping at the bit. Like, cause I was all like teed up to go to Africa and I'm ready to do this. And then it was just like, pull the rug out from underneath you, then whatever. So he was like, all right, I figured it out. He was like, we're going to go hunt um, Axis in, uh, in Hawaii. And I was like, okay, tell me more. And he was like, well, um, because it's still in the United States and this not. And so technically we get over there, but we have to have like, um, you know, we have to have a, a negative COVID test and this not. I was like, all right, like, tell me what we need to do. I was like, cause I'm already ready to go. So we go over there and you know, he has a, he, he knows people everywhere because I mean, that's what he does. Right. Is he international PH. And so it was so cool because in um in Hawaii, um all all lands are considered tribal lands. Right. And so um a tribal member can hunt and they have like a free reign of hunting on the tribal land. Um the only way, and again, like for anybody that hears this, if I'm saying anything that is incorrect, like do not like rip me to shreds. But this is based on what I was told was that if um the only way that you can keep out a um, tribal member from hunting your property is to high fence it. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, so we go over there and we're with one of like the oldest active member, uh, active tribal members. So he, we basically had like three reign of the island. I mean, this is where he grew up. He knew everything. And axis are so incredibly like overpopulated they are so densely populated there they have zero predators besides humans and we hunted every side of that island like and it is so crazy how like we were there for a week I did not see not one area of fresh water the entire time I was on that island. How these animals survive is beyond me, right? Um, so there was this um, little like succulent grass that grows like uh, near the ocean and it's called like Kapui Pui grass. And the the tribal guy was like, hey, try it. He was like, it's really salty. And I was like, okay. So like I, I tried it. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, like this is, it has kind of like the texture of like a, um, like olivera plant, right? Like it's kind okay. of rubbery on the outside, but then it's got like, you know, lots of moisture and stuff on the inside. But this was super salty. Okay. So I was like, I mean, I just started eating it. I was like, okay. But he was like, it helps them retain water. 
right? So what what okay. little water, wherever the hell they find this water, it helps them retain it. Like this is what helps keep them alive. And I think like like that was so crazy because like I said, like I, I it was just just barren land, right? It was the most beautiful and like the the dirt there is so incredibly red that like it just stains your hands and everything. Like all of my equipment that I took there, it, it's even with the air compressor, like I, I've tried to uh, like blow it off, can't get it off. It's very magnetic dirt too. Um, it, it, It's crazy. But at the same time, like, you'll see, uh, you'll, you'll glass and you'll see like a herd of axis and you just, if you're up on a point, you can easily see a thousand axis, a thousand axis. Like, and so you'll see some, you know, a couple hundred yards away and you're like, all right, we're going to make a plan. We're going to move in and we're going to stalk them. You will bump two to 300 axis on your way to that herd. And there is super, super tall grass. So there will be times that like you, you might have a 65 yard shot on a axis buck and literally the only thing that you can see is like the back of its head. Right. And you're like, where's the rifle. Right. But it's like, you know, of course you just want to be like, all right. And so that it it had a lot of challenges, right? It's like, yes, it is very densely populated right it's a very target rich environment which it was good because that was my first bow hunt that I ever went on right and so it, it was good there was a lot of practice but at the same time like yes it was very target rich but there was also a lot of challenges um that that came with that right like it, it's so crazy just to be like hey I we bumped three herds of axis in the process of making a stock on this one herd, you know, and it, it's nuts. But at the same time, like it was a super awesome experience because I mean, like we camped on the beach, we camped like out and they have some of the, the oldest mesquite trees. Like when we think of mesquite trees here in Texas, it's more of like a, a shrub. Yeah. That's what I think of. Yeah. And there, these are like giant, like, 200 and something year old mesquite trees and you should have seen my boots that I had um that I that I wore there and I was pulling thistles out of the bottom of them and the whole like I might as well have had tap shoes on because or like cleats because they were these giant like thistles from these mesquite trees were just in my shoe or like in my boots and I, I didn't keep those boots very long, <laughs> but yeah, wandering around that Island with a pretty much a broken foot. Um, my horse stepped on my foot the oh, day yeah, before I, I left. And so it, it, it was fine. Um, I will say probably on like hour eight, nine and 10, I was like, this is starting to hurt a little bit. It was just like, I just needed to take my, my boot off for a minute and like, cause I guess it was starting to get swollen so that my my foot was really really starting to hurt but I'm like listen I can I'm not that person to be like oh I can't go on this epic hunt because my foot hurts you know like no not gonna happen yeah I was fortunate enough to hunt on Maui for a couple days and I was blown away at the devastation that the axis do like you start walking around some of the groves and stuff and it reminded me of elk 
like when because like elk just destroy when there's big herds of elk like they just shit fuck everything um mm-hmm. and that's what it was like to see where the axes had had gone through and i we did a little i was more focused on goats and pigs just because of the time of the year um but we we did run into um a couple of herds of axes and i too I was lucky enough to do some mule deer hunting in Alberta and the numbers aren't the same, but you have that same problem where it's the deer that you can't see screw up the play on the deer that you mm-hmm. can see. And that's a real legitimate challenge. And, and it's like, not, a, it's not spoke about a whole lot. Cause in most hunting, like, yeah, there's like a limited number of animals that you need to worry about between where you are and where you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. It does, it does produce an interesting challenge. But when I was over there, um, everybody had talked about Molokai. Obviously, Lanai is the other one for axes that people talk about a lot. But I feel like Molokai is kind of like the cooler, kind of more out on the outer edge version, whereas Lanai is pretty overdone. And it's kind of just yeah. Like with all the money. Molokai is like a, it, it is kind of like a locals only island. Yeah. Um, it, it's not real big on like tourism and stuff like that. Um, that's why it was really cool, you know, that we were there, um, you know, with, uh, the guy that that's we the were, best. yeah, because I mean, it was like, I, we were just like part of the family, you know, um, don't mind this blonde chick. She's just my cousin, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like she's just over here, um, hunting. And so like, I mean, it was, it was super cool. Like, and, and just that whole like Island culture and stuff like that. Like it was, again, it's just very like energetic or, or like, it's good for like energy and like your soul. Like I, I love it. Right. It's just like, how blessed am I like to sit here and I'm like on the beach staring up at the stars, you know, falling asleep under the stars and I get to roll out of my, my, um, you know, my little hammock and go hunt axis in the morning. Like, thank you. Like yeah, it, it, it was just better. so, so awesome. Okay. So and let's talk about the being a woman in the hunting industry. Cause the reason I specifically hit you up is that, you know, I don't know how, like a gentle way to say it, but you don't, you don't have to be gentle. <laughs> femininity in order for personal gain. And like, let's face it, you could quite mm-hmm. easily. And, uh, and you talk about this pretty regularly on your platform. And it's one of my personal frustrations. Cause like, I really find it devalues the women in this space. Like nobody look good. Sure. Dudes don't want to look like shit either, but like that shouldn't be the selling feature. That shouldn't be your value proposition to whatever community you're trying to participate in. So I'm curious, a, what, what has it been like for you as a woman coming up in the hunting industry? Has there been, you know, challenges and, and, and things? And then two, why is it important to you? And, and do you find it difficult to kind of stick to that principle? Okay. So prepare for me to get on my soapbox. That's <laughs> like, all yours. How about her? So, so I, number one, for anyone that follows me, you know, they, they do hear me like, for the most part, I do have my like dry, raw humor, but then when I do get on my soapbox, it's typically because of this particular topic, right? Um, I have no, I am not one of those women that is 
insecure and that is judging. I have, I have my own insecurities. I'm not trying to say that I'm just completely, you know, arrogant and full of myself, but at the same time, like I have enough, um, self-confidence and I'm just confident enough to be able to recognize beautiful women. Right. So by me, um, having an opinion about certain women doing certain things is not because I'm some prude or because, um, I'm jealous or, you know, I'm just nitpicking other women. Okay. Um, one of my buddies the other day was like a quick question. If you were to go to the lake, would you just wear a turtleneck? Because I am always <laughs> covered up. It's true. And I was like, okay, valid question. And I was like, dude, I have like 15 bikinis and they're all, you know, Brazilians. Okay. But that doesn't mean I need to be posing in them on Instagram. You know, I also own lingerie. Doesn't mean I need to take a picture of myself and post it on Instagram. You know what I mean? I was like, think about it this way. I was like, this isn't fucking playboy. Okay. This isn't some highly sought after um, magazine or publication to where it is very, you know, only the few and far between get to pose in this publication, right? Any old female can just totally whore themselves out and wear whatever or lack thereof and post pictures. Like this is not like some accomplishment or some achievement by you posting all of that online. Now, keep in mind, I don't care if you do porn. I don't care if you are posing in bikinis all day, every day. I follow some of these girls. You know, some of these fitness chicks, I follow them because I'm like, number one, they have a banging bod. Let me get that leg workout. Let me get that ab workout. And I'm not talking shit or I have an opinion about them dancing around a little teeny bikini, right? But as soon as you bring hunting into it is where I draw the line. Right. Because then by you bringing that type of, of negative attention to this industry, not only are you making someone like myself have to work that much harder to dig myself out of the hole that you dug me, right? I got to climb out of this hole that you dug for me. And you're basically putting, and, and when I say me, I'm also speaking for every other woman in this space, right? That isn't just some bimbo in camo that's out here trying to pretend like we hunt, right? This is something that I love, right? If someone comes and messes with your kids or your family, you're going to be pissed, right? Same way. The same thing goes with hunting, right? If you're making it harder for me to do something that I love, I have a problem with that, right? I'm not saying don't let your titties hang out. Don't let your ass hang out. Whatever. Just keep hunting out of it. Right. And, um, you know, I, I had someone ask me the other day, like, you know, do you have, um, like, do you get, do you, you know, like, do you deal with a lot of people that are like sending you basically these shit bags, sending you like nasty messages and stuff. And I said, no, I, I actually don't. And I was like, I go, and I was like, maybe I'm not the right person to ask about this. I said, because I, I don't feel like I provoke um, men or women, you know, in, in that type of way. I was like, I, um, I typically have that fuck off vibe 24 <laughs> seven, but at the same time, I was like, you know, when you fish with certain bait, 
don't be surprised when right. you catch that type of fish. Okay. And I said it, and I don't do that. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I think that like, like, to, like why, why do people do these things? And like, I, I think about this a, a lot, right? Like, why is it, um, copper plated sixes the other day, he, uh, posted something. It was this chick with her bow and this, that. So of course I like dive and I start looking at this girl's page. Her content started on, you know, cause I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, like let, let, let me dive in, right? Content started in 2016, fast forward to 2021, not a single fucking hunting photo, not a single anything, right? No hunting whatsoever. And now all of a sudden, oh, if you want to catch me, you're going to find me in the woods, me and my bow. Really? Really? Okay. Um, all right. So now, and I know what it is because this has happened to me so many times in my life. When I, because it's like, where do these people like get this idea? Like all of a sudden, I'm just going to get into hunting. I'm going to start taking pictures of, you know, in the outdoors and stuff like that. I'm like, when I graduated high school, it was a long time ago. Um, but it, back then, there weren't a lot of people, um, a lot of women wakeboarders in uh, the X Games. Okay. So I had um, some buddies that were pro riders, um, you know, obviously men. who were like, hey, you could totally come into this, this space and dominate because there aren't a lot of women. Well, I don't want to do, I don't want to win because I only have like, two people that are I'm competing against like no to me that's not winning right like okay I just fell into first place because there's only one other person like what an accomplishment you know no same thing happened when I graduated from college Lindsay there aren't a lot of women in the UFC the women's UFC you ought to capitalize on that I don't want to capitalize on something just because there's only a few right because they, they look at these industries and they say that, hey, you can easily and quickly stand out. So I, I really think that you see all these random chicks and they come into hunting because someone has told them, hey, you're pretty. Because a lot of them are gorgeous, right? Sure, sure. But you can go into this space and, you know, you can easily stand out and you can quickly make a name for yourself. Because this is a predominantly men's space, okay? And again, do what you do, screw who you screw, whatever, as long as it doesn't affect me or others like me, right? But it starts to become a problem when then, again, I, I have to work that much harder to prove that I'm legitimate in this space. And other people like me have to prove that they're legitimate in this space just because you just so happen to uh, also have long blonde hair and this and that, right? Like, and so that's why it's just like, I, I, I really, you know, I, I, my content is just my content, right? It's me. I probably could get a lot further in life if I was less me, but then that means I would be selling, you know, my morals and my soul. And I just don't want that, right? Like, Again, I'm not going to say like our oh, titties have never hung out before because that would be a fucking lie. Okay. But that doesn't need to take place on my Instagram. And we also don't need to bring that type of attention towards hunting. We are taking lives here. We are killing animals. 
And they deserve more respect than that. I'm sorry, but you holding an AR with your big ass titties hanging out over a dead pig, like, I'm just sorry, like, what's the point? And number one, I know that's fake as shit because you would be scratched, like, especially if it's in Texas, your ass would be so scratched up. It looked like somebody ran you through a barbed wire fence and like, you look perfect. Hmm. Nah, I'm gonna call bullshit on that. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm I'm the one out here actually doing this. And I know what I look like after my hunt's over. So, no. I'm going to call bullshit. Yeah. And it, it is the double-edged sword of, of social media. Because we, I mean, and the same thing happens the other way around. Like with dudes, it's not so much like the sexualization of it. But I can tell you what a, a post of mine that has a dead animal, the kind of engagement it gets compared to like, you know, a thoughtful podcast with somebody like it, it, they don't compare. Like there are certain images and sentiments on social media that just get a lot of attention. And Mm -hmm. I think, I feel like we're kind of, and maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but I do feel like overall the pendulum is swinging in a good direction. I don't think I don't, there are certainly instances where it's not, you know what I mean? We need some work to be done. I was just having this conversation mm-hmm. the other day. So I'm going on my first sheep hunt. So I've been doing all these like podcasts and stuff. Ooh, like that's exciting. I'm super excited. Yeah. It's going to, I'm very excited, but there, I was talking to one of the wildlife biologists, biologists in British Columbia. And over the last 10 years, there's a pretty sharp increase in the trend of immature rams being taken. And that doesn't even necessarily mean illegal, like the age and the the horn structure can be two different things. And as long as the horn mm-hmm. breaks the nose with a thin horn, you can shoot that sheep. That doesn't mean that the sheep was technically a mature sheep. And you can't kind of help but think like there's been more social media presence coming online over the last 10 years. And these, these, this pressure to like put an animal on the ground causes these guys to, or, or girls causes these individuals to kind of compromise Probably their own morals and ethics. Like if they really thought about it, you don't want to take home. It's like shooting a button buck. It's not the kind of thing I'm interested in doing. Now, if we're talking population management and like that's what that particularly needs, that's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. But in the normal general run-of-the-mill circumstances, I don't go around shooting spike bucks and I don't want to shoot immature rams. But it's an interesting conversation to have because it's like how can we take responsibility? And here's the other part too, where sometimes it goes too far because I remember Ranella and Callahan and all these guys talking about grip and grin 2.0s and Callahan was kind of going off that he didn't think we should take grip and grins anymore because it, it puts us in a bad light. And I kind of had a pretty strong opinion the other way around. Like I, there are some pictures, like it took me five years to kill my first elk with a bow. And that picture of me on that mountain by myself with that elk in a very standard grip and grin, like I've got his antlers in my hands. Like I'm going to cherish that image forever. And that's part a grip and grin is part of hunting. Like look at those old mans. Like those are such classic images, like the pickup truck with the buck lifted up in the barn and the old dude standing there. And it's like, that's part of our heritage. So it's interesting because I think we have to walk this thin line between yeah, managing how we're perceived by the non-hunting public mm-hmm. while still staying true to our roots and being like, this is important to me and I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't want to lose who I am 
in the process. I think it's a little bit more clear cut with like the sexual exploitation stuff. I just think that's a, like, that's just purely like an instant gratification play. Like you can, you can kind of monetize it. You can get a lot of attention, but I think it's short. I don't see though, but I I don't mean to interrupt, but like, I don't see how these people are monetizing it. And, And the reason for that is, is, um, Yes, I, I am female, but I, I feel like I, I do tend to look at things with a very male-minded approach, right? Like sure. when it comes to guns or optics or things like that, right? Just because I see O-Girl is, um, you know, is supporting Swaro uh, optics doesn't mean that I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm going out. I'm going to buy me one of those uh, spotting scopes, you know? I, on the other hand, I want to talk to somebody and be like, Hey, you know, so tell me like, you know, does it fog up or this and that like blah, 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 right? Like I'm, I, I, these people are not running out buying these products just because some girl is, is the one that is like promoting them. Right. So it's either these companies are making that much money that they need a write-off. They need to write off a loss. Right. Because how is it that they could possibly justify a negative ROI, right? Right. Like all the the money that they're they're spending, like I, I think it also happens like like even with guys, right? Like you'll start seeing people posting on a schedule, and it, you know they're working with this knife company or you know this optics company, and you'll see that they have like five stories a week on their post, and then they'll have a you know, something on their actual page. Well, if you start talking to them and asking them questions, well, they are contractually obligated to answer on in favor of that product line rather than giving you an honest opinion, right? And, um, And so it's like, you know, yes, you know, so maybe some newcomers come to the industry and they're like, oh, so and so's wearing first light. So I'm gonna go wear first light, okay, okay. Um, but like impacting like the, the people that are truly out here buying new gear all the time, this and that, like, you know, having some of the, those people that are, you know, supporting or like, you know, sponsored by that product line, I just don't see how it necessarily benefits from an ROI standpoint or standpoint or like how these titty boppers basically are like monetizing this because who the fuck is actually buying this shit, you know? Right. I think there's, you, you raise a couple points. A, I think there's different consumers in the industry. I think there's legitimate, passionate consumers that care deeply about the quality and the functionality and performance of the products they buy. And then I think there's just people who want to belong. And I think- That want to look like they belong. Yeah. And those people I think are more easily influenced. Yeah. And the second point, as far as like the whole paid for influencer, I mean- that's the entire rationale for why I started mindful hunter. Cause I was following these guys on YouTube and I'll see, it was like the hushing guys and the bro guys. Like that's who I kind of, I, I started wanting to kill an elk with my bow and they were doing elk hunting and stuff. And I started following them and I got to a point. I'm like, I can't fucking watch you anymore. Like your shit has turned into just such a nonstop. And I'm not going to hate on the brands cause they make some nice stuff, but like a, a nonstop first light vortex commercial. And I am going to, puke and it was like it's not like you honestly like this stuff like you're legitimately just getting paid 
Like, I'm sorry. Vortex makes some nice stuff and I've owned a lot of it, but you cannot say that you're even in remotely the same class as like a Swarrow, like a or Zeiss. So when you have yeah. these guys on saying these are the best binos, it's like, say they're the best binos for that price category. Price, yeah. Then we yes. can have a, an honest. And so that was my big frustration. And people ask me all the time, when are you going to source out sponsorship for the podcast? And I'm like, I might do ads for like unrelated things. I have no problem with monetizing the podcast or my YouTube channel, but like I take zero money from any brands. A couple people ship me from some free stuff, but it's like I'm under no obligation and I review that stuff just as critically as I review yes. anything else. And I, th I, I still hold true to the fact that I think that's the better long-term play because it might take me three, four, five times as long to get mm -hmm. to the point where the audience is big enough and there's enough people listening that it actually generates some meaningful revenue. But I think you can feel much better about, about that approach. And I get the comments all the time. Like somebody will ask me for an opinion on a piece of gear and knowing that I don't take money from any particular sponsors, like a big Exactly. Your response is a genuine response as 100%. opposed to it being weighted or biased because you are contractually obligated to this particular brand. And like, I have had, um, I've had some, some pretty large companies reach out to me. And then, you know, of course I had a discussion with them and I'm, I'm very, very transparent. You know, of course, the first thing I tell them, I'm like, if you're looking for tits and ass, you're looking in the wrong place. Cause you ain't gonna find it here. Um, and I'm like, okay, now that we got that out of the way. So then they like send me their like contract agreement. I'm like, oh, hold up. No, 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 no. Like you're, I, and I, I just respectfully like replied back to them in an email. And I was just like, listen, I already use these products. I'm going to continue to use them. And I, if I need anything else in the future, I have no problem purchasing them and paying full price. And again, this is not coming from somebody that is made of money. Okay. I am not. Um, I, I have three jobs and I'll work four and five if I have to. So the money, it's not like, I'm not saying like, oh, I'll just pay full price because I just, you know, burn in hundreds over here. That is not the case. But I said, you know, I'd rather just pay full price and be able to post what I want when I want and not be tied to a particular schedule um, or product line because I have like some knives that I like um, that are one brand. And then I, for different stuff, I have different knives that I like. and. I like what I like. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do not want anyone dictating to me what I need to use and how often I need to post. My freedom means more to me than my, my freedom and my trustworthiness and my authenticity means more to me than any fucking discount anybody can give me. Right. You're going to give me a 40% discount. I'm going to have to like lie to these people and tell them that this is the greatest thing ever. Like, no, that 40% isn't worth me like losing who I am over that. Right. 100%. 100%. Freedom, freedom is very important to me. Listen, this is, this has been great. I feel like we could continue on, but we hit the hour mark and I want to be cognizant. Plus it's much okay. later where you are than where I am. Um, Thank you very much for, for coming on. Thank you on. for and having I, me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And I would love to do it again at some point in the future. So Absolutely. Much appreciated.
Well, thank you so much. You have a good evening and oh, good luck on your sheep hunt. Thank you very much. But real quickly, so I will post the link um, in the show notes. And and when I post, okay. how can people uh, keep in touch with, or like follow you and, and see what's going on? Primarily Instagram or give a little shout out to your channel and, and how people can follow along. Yeah, just primarily uh, Instagram. Um, my name is a little butchered. It always looks like it's misspelled, but uh, it's just Lindsay Catrola on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Thanks again, Lindsay. Really appreciate it. No problem. Have a good night. You too. Cheers. Bye.